Welcome to the latest episode of the Public Health Insight Podcast. My name is LaShawn, your host for this episode, alongside my co-host, Gordon. In this episode, we navigate the intricate landscape of combating obesity as we explore the complexities surrounding the idea of taxing junk food. Is it a straightforward solution, or are there hidden pitfalls that need careful consideration? Shifting our focus, we uncover the profound impact of social connections on our health, revealing a study that suggests individuals who are never visited by loved ones may face a higher risk of premature death. And in the realm of workplace dynamics, we investigate a fascinating link between increased flexibility on the job and a potential reduction in the risk of cardiovascular disease. Join us as we unravel these layers of public health, exploring the nuances that shape our well-being in unexpected ways. Let's go. In the push to tackle UK's obesity crisis, former Prime Minister Tony Blair has thrown his weight behind taxing junk food, advocating for measures that go beyond sugary drinks to include high salt and high fat items, coupled with restrictions on their advertising. However, this article probes the efficacy of such strategies, drawing attention to mixed results of similar attempts in the past, like the UK's sugar tax and Denmark's short-lived fat tax. It challenges the notion that taxing unhealthy foods is a silver bullet, emphasizing the need for a nuanced, comprehensive approach that considers economic impacts and avoids stigmatization. As we navigate this complex landscape, it's clear that the path to a healthier nation is far from this one-size-fits-all solution. It demands a smarter, more thoughtful strategy that transcends traditional boundaries. Now, Gordon, are you a fan of these unhealthy food taxes I'm, i don't think i'm a fan of anything really but you're only the fan of the raptors yeah even sometimes they make me upset and stuff like that so i wouldn't mm. even say the raptors but this reminds me though of one of your favorite episodes we did probably two years ago mm-hmm. two january's ago on what's it called health taxes health taxes on mostly on sugar sweetened beverages and i think mexico Mexico was a good example of a jurisdiction as has implemented this successfully. Mm-hmm. But like you touched on in the intro there, there's more to it than just implementing a policy. There, healthy behaviors and lifestyle changes are really difficult to modify just by the efforts of policy alone. There's a lot of different factors there too. I would imagine marketing plays a huge role right you see the way food and sugar products are marketed or fat products are marketed mm-hmm. it might be enticing to people who are still willing to pay higher prices right so there there's a lot we could get into but my early thoughts are that what did we really expect that this would save the day it's not similar like tobacco for example where tobacco follows a similar scheme where it's like highly taxed the consumer pays a lot of that extra cost. Mm-hmm. But if you compare to the percentage of the population who eat food to those who smoke, you're talking pretty much everybody needs to eat. A very small per- a very small proportion of the population smokes. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to execute taxes on tobacco versus taxes on food and drink products. Yeah, and you know, a lot of things come to mind. It's like, well, how do you even classify what junk food is? Mm. And, you know, increasing taxes on junk food by itself is not a good 
policy, right? right? Because when you're thinking about specific communities that maybe don't have access to healthier foods or options other than those quote unquote junk foods, mm. what are they going to do? They're just going to end up paying a higher burden mm. to feed their families, right? So something that they have to consider is, okay, now that these foods are more expensive, are they going to incorporate other potentially healthier alternatives, potentially cheaper than mm. that higher tax, quote unquote, junk food? It begs the question that if, so we know that food with lower nutritional value tends to be cheaper mm. to purchase. It begs the question if you had a society where that was flipped on its head, where let's say you could get free vegetables, free, like free good stuff. Would that, act, would that actually work to shift consumer behavior in terms of what they eat? I'm really mm. curious about that. And if that is not sufficient to do that, then you know policy alone is definitely not the answer. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? It's some people, and <laughs> there's, I don't want to out myself, like I, I don't eat the healthiest. And right. sometimes it takes a lot of skill building as well and just literacy on healthy foods and how to cook, how to create your own garden to grow healthy foods and be more sustainable in that way. Mm. Growing up, I wasn't really taught too much about that, but I'm learning more and more now. But it there are different kind of aspects that a policy needs to target to help that skill building capacity. And again, like you mentioned, behaviors. It's hard to change behaviors, especially if you've been doing certain things your whole life. You need to put extra attention there to reap benefits that you want to see. Yeah, and I want to go back to a point you mentioned, sort of how is junk food defined? What what food items would be included in that? And then the unintended consequences of implementing tax on what you would quote deem as quote unquote unhealthy food, yeah. where they might the industries might respond by creating different formulas to if it's a certain sugar, they might do a different reformulation to have a sweetener and in the end might work out to be even more harmful than the original thing that you were concerned about so it's this constant whack-a-mole game that you're playing as you address one thing another thing pops up from a different hole and you're really standing still instead of instead of moving forward in reality yeah and that's an interesting thing right because when you're thinking about defining junk food and then mm. you're thinking about the cultural aspect of it mm. there are many cultural foods out there in different communities are that are those specific foods and ingredients would they be affected by these quote-unquote junk food taxes, right? Right. And putting right. them, it's compromising those communities too, right? Right, exactly. And I think the article, I think if I recall, tried to make a distinction between junk food and sort of what they would deem as ultra-processed food is something yeah. that you would probably see in freezers on a grocery shelf with high sodium content, high fat yeah. content, and not necessarily what a good old home cooking from like a little Jamaican restaurant and not making sure that the bans and the policies don't influence or negatively impact restaurants that make culturally appropriate food. In a groundbreaking study, researchers at the University of Glasgow revealed a simple yet powerful antidote to the risks of loneliness. Analyzing data from the UK Biobank study, the research found that those who lived alone or experienced various forms of social isolation faced a significantly higher risk of mortality. 
people never visited by loved ones were 53% more likely to die from cardiovascular disease and had a 39% increased overall mortality risk. This risk was even higher for those experiencing multiple forms of isolation. However, the study offers a glimmer of hope. Even a monthly visit could dramatically reduce these risks. These findings underscore the vital role of social connections in health, emphasizing the importance of regular visits to combat the detrimental effects of isolation. LaShawn, I need to visit you more. What's your reaction to this? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. You know, we talked a lot during the pandemic about, you know, social isolation, connectivity, talking to others. And this research from the University of Glasgow just emphasizes that visiting people that are at risk to be more isolated, whether they're the elderly, people who've lived alone and don't have too many connections, whether family, friends or caregivers, it's important to at least, as this research is saying, visit someone once a month, right? Mm -hmm. And how much of a profound impact that can have on cardiovascular health. Mm -hmm. So again, please visit me more often, (laughs) you know, I'm sure that will help. Yeah, it's only about a two-hour drive. It's not too bad. It's not too. Uh, right. I'm a slow driver, so two and a half. But yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You follow the speed limit as you should. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> did the, you just out yourself that you're a speeder? You no, no, no. <laughs> you, can, you can imply what I mean by that. But, okay. So here's the thing: as you start to read that, you wonder why. What 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 is it about these visits that serves as a protective factor for? people in experiencing these chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the article touched on and the researchers explained in terms of why they're noticing this pattern is it sort of acts as a wellness visit. Well, Sean, you're not, doesn't look like you're doing too well. Maybe it's time to go check up with your healthcare provider and then mm-hmm. have those conversations. And people tend to take better care of themselves once mm-hmm. others are able to observe them and Hey, you're not. You yeah. maybe you're you you look a bit different. Um, uh, you've been complaining about something over the phone, but now when I'm physically with you, I can kind of encourage you to take the next steps to look out for your health. So something as simple as that. Now, obviously, the good company and the the happiness and the feelings that brings and the companionship, I'm sure that plays a role too, and just the overall mental health of a person. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting that they were able to narrow it down to a specific number of visits that they thought was sort of the minimum to have some protective effect against cardiovascular disease. Yeah, that's a important point. I I actually didn't think about that because if you're, you know, feeling isolated and you're in your head a lot of the time throughout the day, you Mm -hmm. might think, Hey, I'm okay, or I don't need help. But then when you have a social well-being check or someone that cares about you come over and say hey I know I'm noticing this different about you maybe they encourage you to visit that doctor or set up that appointment or even help take you there if you don't have Mm. that means of transportation I think that's also what you're getting in and I think it's yeah as you could see from the research it makes such a huge difference right and I guess it's also something to look forward to because if you're seeing someone you're gonna have something planned whether it's inside your place where you live or you're going to go out to do something so it's something to look forward to mm-hmm. and even more of a reason to maintain your health because i know i know when i hang out with Lashawn, he's going to want to do some hiking thing or some <laughs> zip lining thing so i know i have to 
come there in a good enough shape to be able to 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 hang around with uh, Lashawn. Yeah. So it keeps you motivated. It ke- gives you a goal. It gives you a purpose, and you're not isolated. And those around you can give you that energy and that sense of reinvigoration until the next trip. So when's our next trip, Lashawn? Uh, we're gonna go to Jamaica. Okay. This year, right? I'm actually potentially coming down next week. Oh, okay. There it is. The yeah. monthly visit is happening. Right. In a study led by Harvard T.H. Chen School of Public Health and Penn State University, the link between workplace flexibility and cardiovascular health has emerged as a powerful connection. The study, soon to be published in the American Journal of Public Health, reveals that interventions aimed at reducing the conflict between work and personal life significantly lowered the risk of cardiovascular diseases for employees, particularly those with higher baseline cardiometabolic risk. These changes, equivalent to age-related cardiometabolic shifts of 5 to 10 years, emphasize the impact of working conditions as a vital social determinant of health. The study challenges traditional workplace norms, showing that mitigating stressful conditions can benefit employees especially older ones, without compromising productivity, a finding with potential significance for workers facing health inequities in low- and middle-wage roles. The research signals a need for a broader implementation of such changes to improve overall employee health. Gordon, what's your reaction to all this? Yeah, when I was reading it, when I saw the title initially, I must admit, I thought it was another cool article about Oh, if you work from home one day a week and or four days a week and you do one day in office, it's actually the maximum way to yeah. get productivity out of your team. But the more we went through it, we realized it's not necessarily a work flexibility type of policy or intervention where mm-hmm. you have like a hybrid arrangement. It's talking specifically about interventions mm-hmm. within a physical workspace that would improve that would would still preserve productivity but still reduce the risk of any chronic diseases mm-hmm. like what LaShawn mentioned, as well as baseline levels of stress and fam- family conflict and conflict between coworkers. So I found it interesting because when you, the discourse that we're hearing now is about that balance between working from mm-hmm. home, working in the office. This sort of gets back to the old school and says, for those that are not able to work mm-hmm. at all from home, what can you do to make the workplace yeah. a better place to work in? And reduce the levels of stress for those who are in this these types of occupations, typically the lower and middle income type of jobs, the wages. So it's good to have research still being done out there about yeah. And when you're talking about staff that are just unable to work from home, for example, these findings have even more significance, right? Because if you're a nurse, you have to go in Mm. to the hospital, for example, right? And they can't work from home necessarily, right? So yeah, what they did in the study, they had their direct supervisors find strategies to increase employees' control over work times and support work-family balance, right? And we know those are important things for the well-being of people. And this study trained supervisors to specifically look at those things and implement some of those strategies in the workplace. And as we saw, it's led for especially older individuals, a reduction in these risks for cardiovascular diseases, right? So again, from a healthy environment perspective, especially a healthy working environment perspective, if you're able to, as a supervisor, as a leader, to implement some of these strategies that 
in my opinion, are based on empathy and compassionate leadership already, it leads to a lot of health benefits while keeping productivity the same, if not better. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's easy to lose sight of this, but what's the, what are the social determinants of health, right? Social determinants of health are the conditions mm-hmm. in which we work, play, live, mm-hmm. worship, all that stuff. Yeah. Keyword work. Yeah. So work environments are a key source of what can bring someone happiness or someone a lot of anger and stress and hardships in their life. And if I'm sure everybody has colleagues, some people, some of them might complain to you about their jobs and how they don't like it. And those conversations can be hours long. And you think this job is really taking a toll on someone's mm-hmm. mental well-being. So it is important to make sure that workplace environments are conducive for you know high yeah. levels of mental health. And this study talks about some of the ways that yeah. you can maintain that. So I was really pleased to see that we still haven't lost sight of those jobs that yeah, and we've known for a long time that giving people more agency or control over decisions and improving the mm. flexibility around that leads to a lot of positive benefits anyways. So I think this is in line with a lot of research that's already been done in that space. Yeah, and I bet too that the change management component of that is probably <laughs> severely underestimated because it's easy. to. I find that once you do those workshops and trainings, you yeah. mentioned some of that from the article. The, the benefits yeah. of those tend to wane Has to be over sustained. a couple months where the yeah. consultants leave and you, the materials that they gave you are now yeah. in the middle of your shelf and buried in folders on your computer and you kind of revert back to status quo. So the change management yeah. is very important. And I, I believe that the study looked over the intervention over a 12-week period. So it is not that long. Mm. Really, it's three months. But mm. the fact that they noticed all these health benefits, I'm wondering how that would play out over a year or two, right? And again, what you're saying, the change management piece, being able to sustain those interventions and change management principles and making sure the supervisors continue to support their employees in this way. So today we talked about a couple of things. We talked about the taxing of quote unquote junk food. We talked about how social isolation is obviously a very bad thing, but visiting a person once a month can make a huge impact on their life. And then finally, we ended off with talking about how increased flexibility on the job can have a potential reduction on the risk of cardiovascular disease. This is LaShawn and Gordon signing off. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.